You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. And a good... June 1st morning, everybody, and there's a significance to that, that we will explain over the course of our two hours here today with you. We are Birds 365, the Mac and Mac guys, Jordan McDonald, along with my partner, John McMullen, who looks like he got out and got some sun. How could you possibly have gotten sun this weekend since there was no sun this weekend, McMullen? Well, yesterday was not bad. I was out pretty much all day yesterday, and that's because I couldn't get out before that. Jeff. It was kind of uh, a depressing weekend from that stand standpoint. Complete washout, but I hope people had some fun. More importantly, I hope they took a moment on Monday to remember everyone who, who served this country. But I I will say that, uh, you know, I was talking to Xander, our, our executive producer who's down the shore, um, and he said it helped out the businesses. I was a little bummed for the businesses because I thought, you know, people have been locked down for over a year. I thought they're busting to get out, and then it's a complete washout. But he said all the businesses were even more busy because nobody could get to the beach. So right. maybe it was a positive. It, it depends on what businesses you're yeah. talking about. If it's a business right on top of the beach or the boardwalk, yeah, and I don't think it did do well because people weren't out on the boardwalk or on the beach itself. If your business is a little off the beach and a whole bunch of people went down there, you got to do something. I guess you can sit around the house and watch Birds 365 on your computer. Well, you should. You should do that. Thanks to those who, who did that. But, yeah, people probably wanted to just get out of the house. So they headed to the strip mall or whatever other non-on-the-beach business was taking place down at the Jersey Shore. Yeah, it uh, you know, uh, but we're past it. it. It looks like a good week weather-wise, so hopefully people can get out and have some fun as the summer continues to roll on here. It's a big day in the NFL, obviously, June 1st. Uh, because this is the day where where everything sort of happens midseason, sort of the demarcation line. So the Eagles get a little bit more money at 4 o'clock today from designating Malik Jackson to Sean Jackson. But a lot of stuff has happened, Jody. I'm, I'm you know, the Eagles, I'm a little angry at the Eagles. Yes. They keep doing stuff. We got a little four-day weekend. No show. You don't. You're on 77 shows over the weekend. By the way, I got to get back in the groove here. I forget how to do this, but you keep doing it uh, on CBS and your national stuff. And were you on WIP? Oh, yeah, I was on WIP last night after the Sixers came up a little short and out the the Wizards. Uh, I I said this to Xander, and yes, Birds fans, fear not. We're going to talk about the Eagles because we got a lot to talk about, as John is hinting at. 
Eagles make major announcements about a half an hour after we finish up our last birds 365 on last Thursday. And we'll give you all the info and uh, breakdown of that in just a second. But you know who took it last night on my show for the three hours that I was on more than anybody else? Doc Rivers. Uh, for defending Ben. Correct. Uh, yes. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. By the way, Doc is a great, great coach. I mean, you saw the opposite. I mean, especially in the NBA, because I used to cover the NBA in between my NFL stints. It, more than anything else, I think it's a big part of the NFL as well. I think people get stuck in the mud talking about X's and O's and scheme. Everybody in this league says if you're hiring a scheme, you're doing it wrong. In other words, the more important parts of the job are managing personalities, getting guys moving in the right directions. Doc Rivers brilliant at that. What's he going to do? What do people expect? He's going to throw the guy under the bus? I, I don't understand the mentality. He's trying to protect the guy. Look, I don't know why this is so controversial. I'll get on because I know this is an Eagles show. But Ben Simmons does a lot of things really, really well. And he does a few things really, really poorly. That's not controversial. That's not insulting to point out criticism uh, of a player. But a coach, he's got to defend that player because he needs him. He needs him. And forget about this series. They're going to win this series. But you saw the problems, unfortunately. And I look at Brooklyn. And I think people cross their fingers and hope Brooklyn doesn't get to the Sixers. Because I look at three players that can finish games. And I look at the Sixers, and they got to play four on five on offense in close games. So you either got to be up 14, or you're going to lose if Kevin Durant, James Harden, and, and Kyrie Irving are on the floor. That's the bigger problem. But the head coach, I mean, what do people expect? Well, but what does Doc Rivers expect? He has been around forever, and he should know oh, those he knows questions he's the questions. Yeah, but... and, and he can continue to defend Ben. The thing that bothered me about Doc last night was the fact that he almost seemed insulted that those questions were being brought up. Well, it that... was his tone more I, than the fact that his you. answer he... was, well, you do realize that Ben is doing other things for us. He's a key rebounder, and he does score points. He just doesn't score them from the outside. It, it, it was like obnoxiousness that he said, oh, I'll pass on taking Ben uh, Ben Simmons off the floor. It was a legit strategical question. I, for the get, game. I, I get that part of it as a media person, but I also realize guys get emotional after big losses like that right after games, and he – you know, he he understands he's going to get the questions. He understands the questions. He understands the player. But what you understand behind the scenes is not necessarily what you're going to put out uh, in front of the cameras. I think he's a very good coach. I think Philadelphia is lucky to have him, especially when you consider what they had. And I like Brett Brown as a person, great guy, but I think he had serious deficiencies as a head coach in this league. I think the Sixers got one of the best head coaches in this league. Did he make a mistake? Could he handled it better? Yeah, but, you know, well, okay. Much, much like Ben Simmons himself, uh, I can critique Doc Rivers from last night. I'm sure. with you. I think he's a great coach. I think he's a big reason why they're in the position that they're in. Uh, he's uh, the kind of coach that I would hire every single day of the week and twice on Sundays. 
But much like Ben Simmons' inability to make free throws, it's not the end of the world when you point out that maybe Doc made a judgment error last night. But that's just me. Anyway, let's get uh, to the Eagles. Again, on Thursday afternoon, not long after we got off the air here on Birds 365, the Eagles officially announced some pretty significant front office changes, most of them promotions, one significant from outside hire. And when you see as many names being mentioned and the uh, new jobs that they have and new responsibilities you have, you think that it's major changes in the Eagles front office. Is that actually the case, John? Um, yeah, it's a major change. They hired, they didn't hire, they promoted Catherine Raich to be essentially the highest ranking female personnel executive in NFL history. So, A, that's a big deal. It's essentially Andrew Berry's job before he left uh, to take the GM job at the Cleveland Browns. So, um, you know, she's a step away from being a general manager in this league. So it's a big deal from that perspective. It is a real job. It's not a title. Uh, she is the she is the number two in this organization behind Howard Roseman and when it, when it comes to encompassing everything. So when we talk about pro scouting, college scouting, contracts, strategy, uh, analytics, she's got her foot in everything. Uh, and the only other person who has that is Howie Roseman. So she's second in command of the football side of this organization. So it is a big deal. I think when people saw all the movements, and this happens, uh, I always talk about it, Jody. Personnel calendar in the NFL is different than everything else. Coaches, players, people are pretty well-versed uh, on uh, transactions and how they happen in Black Monday when it comes to coaches and free agency and all that stuff. When it comes to personnel changes, scouting, um, even high-ranking officials like Ian Cunningham and Brandon Brown, which we'll talk about in a little bit, it goes from draft to draft. So you see all the changes about a month after the draft because people usually give themselves a couple weeks on the contract so they can think about what they want to do. So you see it all over the league. But the Eagles made a splash because of who they hired, obviously, and Catherine Race and promoting, as I said. It's a big deal from that perspective. Um, it's a big deal that uh, Ian Cunningham and Brandon Brown, who are basically co-directors uh, of player personnel underneath Andy Weidel, so they become second, the heir apparent, Stan. Um so a lot of movement, mostly promotions. Interestingly enough, Dave Caldwell, though, was brought in, right. former GM of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think when they sent out the press release, everybody focused on that because everybody knows who Dave Caldwell is. Right. But he's coming in as sort of just another sounding board. The Eagles have done that. They have John Dorsey in recently. Those guys tend to just be consultants, write reports, things like that. So it his name is sort of splashy, but not as important. And the reason why I'm not giving that much weight to the Coldwell hire is because, yes, this past season, we all wondered what John Dorsey was doing for the Eagles because they almost kept it under wraps. They didn't outwardly announce it, as a matter of fact, the way that they have here with Caldwell, and that may make it a different type hire, but I don't really think so. Uh, the former general manager comes in working under Howie, 
is in Howie's ear, but I don't think has any power whatsoever to actually affect change. I look at Caldwell the same way I do with Dorsey. And looking back at it now, and yes, neither you nor I was a fly on the wall when these conversations are being had behind closed doors down at the Novacare complex. What exactly did Dorsey do last year? I don't think any of us really know. So I'll say the same thing about Dave Cole. What is he actually going to do for this Eagles upcoming year other than when Howie calls him into the office and he said, let me bounce something off you and he's going to get Dave Caldwell's take. I don't know exactly what Dave Caldwell's going to do for the Eagles. Um, if he does what John Dorsey did, it, it's essentially n- n- not much. And, and, and basically what John Dorsey did was write reports about players and, and maybe did a little bit of band scouting, gave his sort of two cents on, you know, maybe free agents, maybe a player you're thinking about bringing in. But yeah, it wasn't a key part of the process. So I do think, you know, when roles aren't clearly defined, people can run with them. Like, I think a lot of people, you kind of saw this. You even heard some uh, questions at press conferences, Jody, where, you know, Howie was really under fire. And they're saying, well, maybe John Dorsey could take his role. That was never, never even in the equation, never even thought about by Jeffrey Lurie. So he he didn't do much, to be honest. He was rarely here. I don't, I don't know if he was ever here. Maybe he came in to sign a contract and left, uh, but he certainly wasn't here on a day-to-day basis. And he just wrote reports and, and gave advice. And that's he was a true consultant. Now, just by the title they gave Dave Caldwell, I think he's going to be in the building. I think he's going to do a little bit more, but remains to be seen. That was going to be my next question. Will Dave Caldwell be in the building? Since you described John Dorsey as a consultant and you don't know exactly how many days, if if not hours, did he spend here in Philadelphia? Was it just get Dorsey on the phone, let me run something by him, that type of a position? Uh, it could be different, I guess, with Caldwell. It just seems very similar to what they had with Dorsey. But the difference is that, yes, they they made it official and added him to a rather important press release, which we didn't get with Dorsey for like weeks, not months from the time they supposedly agreed to work for the Philadelphia Eagles before we even found out that he was working for the Philadelphia Eagles. So maybe there is a difference. We'll see if Caldwell has an effect. Um, His tenure in Jacksonville I don't know that you could describe it as anything other than not great. Uh, He had one winning year over the course of seven years. So the fact that he was a general manager does give him some gravitas. But when you're not that successful a general manager and the team's record while you're in charge isn't anything to brag about, well, what exactly did the Eagles get their hands on? Yeah, I got to tread lightly here, Jody, because – People who watch this show know uh, I'm a I'm a wrestling fan. I, I like Tony Khan personally, but boy, the Jacksonville Jaguars are an absolute disaster. So I guess I'm not treading lightly. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Tony. Uh, well, you're, hey, you're, hey, you're, John, you're not breaking any state secrets yeah. by stating that the Jaguars over the last seven years have not set the world yeah. ablaze. But you know how people are. So, now, you know, if you criticize them publicly, it's a disaster of an organization. One thing I asked Alex Marvez when he was on the show with us, and he's very close to uh, Tony Khan and, and Jacksonville as a whole, and also 
because he works for AEW Wrestling. But, you know, one of the things I said to Tony, he must get a lot of you-know-what because while he's doing all this work on the wrestling front, the Jaguars are an absolute disaster. And you know how NFL fans are. They're like, get away from the wrestling. Um, do your job as an NFL guy. Plus, he owns Bolt. That that his family, obviously, Shad Khan owns them. Owns a English Premier League team, and they might be worse than NFL fans. And they're not very good. So, this guy's taking a lot of hits. Is my point. But getting it back to Dave Caldwell. I, I don't know how you succeed in that organization. All I can tell you is from a personnel standpoint, people think he's he's good. People respect him. People think he understands that part of it. I don't know how anybody, you know, they brought in Tom Coughlin. Now they bring in Urban Meyer. You know, who's in charge? I can tell you who's not in charge, and that was Dave Caldwell. So he was a part of it. It's one of those things, and we see it here in Philadelphia. You can blame whoever you want, but unless you know who made the decision, it's tough to say. I don't think, I just say it this way. Personally, I don't think Dave Caldwell was making a lot of decisions in Jacksonville. Fair enough. That uh, might be exactly the way that it played out. All right, I have one more decision-making question for you, and that is who who makes the decisions on all these moves? The addition of Dave Caldwell, the promotion uh, to across the board of all the people within the house who now have new positions and supposedly more important positions. Is that Howie and Jeffrey in conjunction with each other? If that's the case, who's more the driving force? Is it more Howie or is it more Jeffrey? Uh, we all remember Jeffrey's uh, spot with the media where he said, we probably have five general managers, the potential mm-hmm. general managers down the road that are working for us as of right now, one of which Ian Cunningham got the interview to do it for Carolina, just didn't get the job. Um, so Jeffrey's quite proud of the staff that they have here, and they add another guy in Dave Caldwell. If you know, or if you want to uh, give us your best guess scenario, how does the dynamic of moving these people up through the organization and or the hire of a guy like Dave Caldwell... How does that actually work? Is it more of a Jeffrey thing or more of a Howie thing? No, it's more of a Howie thing. and But I will say Jeffrey's got to sign off on everything. Right. So, I mean, but one of the things that, and by the way, he's right. One of the things Jeffrey Laurie explained when people were asking him about Howie Roseman's job performance is, there are a lot of things in this job you're not thinking about. In other words, you know, and rightfully so, I'm not trying to defend the guy. People are going to um, pass judgment on a general manager by what, Jody? Graphics and trades and personnel moves. There's sure. much more to the job. And and the other parts to the job, it's sort of like a, a bigger Ben Simmons argument. The other parts of the job are not as splashy so that's the scoring, but they're really important. And and one of the things he has built is a strong front office. And you see it with Andrew Berry. You see it with Joe Douglas. You mentioned Ian Cunningham getting an interview in Carolina. Um, they're well-respected around the league. And evidently, Howie had told Catherine Race that 
he knew Andrew Berry wasn't going to be here long. He knew Andrew Berry was going to get a GM job. So he had her basically shadow Andrew Berry while he was here uh, to get her prepared for this job. So kind of one of the things he does well, and I, I know people aren't going to care uh, because they only care about the splashy part, but that's what Jeffrey was talking about. All right, let me ask you one more question, and then uh, we're going to be joined by our buddy Ed Kratz, your cohort from Sports Illustrated, uh, about promoting Kat, Catherine Raich. You said that she shadowed Andrew Berry for a time when he was here and groomed her for that job. Andrew Berry was hired last year as the Browns general manager. Why didn't this move come when Andrew Berry left I guess that position kind of sat dormant this year, and uh, maybe Catherine Race actually did the work without having the title. Why didn't she get this gig a year ago? Timing. What I said, contract to contract. Personnel's on a different calendar than the rest of the organization. So generally, these types of things happen when the contracts are up and you got to roll them over. You either got to extend them. You got to give them, and then they make the promotion at that point. She was basically doing Andrew's job, is what I would say. Right. And she's now got the title and uh, hopefully a couple extra bucks in her pocket. Uh, that we'll never find out. All right. Jody McDonald with John McMullen. We're the Mac and Mac guys. This is Birds 365. Got two good guests coming your way. Joining us next is our buddy Ed Kratz from Sports Illustrated, Eagle Beat Guy. And a little later in the show, we're going to have Hub on who has been the executive editor of Pro Football Weekly for it's at least a decade. It might be two. A uh, guy who I've had the pleasure of having on my radio shows for the last couple of decades. One of the best reporters in the National Football League. Chicago-based guy that I've got some Chicago questions for him, including the story about Nick Foles saying mm. he didn't want to rejoin Philadelphia. That's one of the things we'll talk about. We'll probably talk about that with Ed Kratz, who joins us next here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. 
IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Is a Tuesday edition of Birds 365. Mac and Mac guys, John McMullen, Jody McDonald. Uh, got a lot to do over the next hour and change. Some of it is and quality time with our first guest of the day, first guest of the week, and our most frequent uh, performer here on Birds 365. We call him in out of the bullpen all the time, and he does a good job for us putting out the fires. Ed Kratz of Sports Illustrated hops aboard. How was your Memorial Day weekend, Mr. Kratz? Well, aside from the rain, I mean, you know, <laughs> it was uh, it was okay, all things considered. I-, I hope you guys are refreshed and ready to go and start a new new week here. I forget how to do it, Ed. But, yeah, you're piling up a lot of innings, so thanks for hopping on. A lot of stuff happened over a holiday weekend for yeah. the Eagles. We were talking about some of the front office changes, Catherine Rage being promoted to essentially what was Andrew Berry's job. By the way, I also want to mention, I did not mention, Amina Solomon, who was promoted to being a pro scout. First Muslim uh, personnel, uh, person in NFL history. That's a big thing as well. We should have mentioned that. Uh, but, Ed, you broke a couple stories. One, the Eagles had serious interest in Julio Jones. And the second, which is kind of interesting, Jalen Rager fined twice last year for being a little overweight. Uh, let's, I guess we'll start there. Yeah. Well, you know, every player has some kind of clause built into their contract, you know, a list of do's and don'ts, whatever you want to call them. And, you know, one of the things in Jalen's contract was his weight. Um, they wanted, the Eagles wanted him to be at 193 pounds. That was the mark they set for him. And, uh, there were two, two occasions last year where he came in, uh, about 196 pounds and he was fined. Um, I don't know what the fine was. I saw, you know, Trey Thomas put out there that he used to get fined a hundred dollars for every pound he was overweight. So, uh, you know, maybe that's kind of the benchmark. So maybe he was fined a few hundred dollars for being overweight, but, uh, it's interesting because in Jalen's case, he decided to gain weight going into the NFL scouting combine coming out of TCU. Uh, I guess that would have been in, uh, you know, 2020, 
um, right before he got drafted. Uh, so he bulked up to 206 pounds, and he didn't run as fast as some scouts thought he would. Um, but the Eagles liked what they saw on tape from him. They felt that that weight gain was m- much too – uh, great for him to handle, and it and it did rob him of some speed. So that's why they put the weight clause in there at 193 pounds. Um, and Rager went over that twice for whatever reason. I don't know why. Maybe because he wasn't on the field all the time because he did have a few injuries. Um, kind of uh, probably wasn't able to work out as often as he would had he been healthy. Um, but now I've been told that he's at about 190 to 191 pounds. He's lighter than he's been since college, early college, uh, and he's going to try to stay there. And they're hoping that that allows him to uh, flash that speed because I think we can all agree that he didn't look particularly explosive uh, mm-hmm. last year during his time on the field, and maybe the weight issue was part of it. Um, but you know, right now he's at 191. He feels good, and if he can stay healthy and stay at that weight, then we might see a different Rager this year. It was a an intriguing story that you put together. I'd not give you credit for it. Uh, I did not know that uh, that was the case that he actually was fined. But I'll just give you my personal opinion. Do we really believe that Jalen Rager was slower? because he carried three extra pounds over what the Eagles said should be his playing weight. If he, if he weighed 225, oh, okay. He usually plays at 190. He's now weighing 225. Yeah, you got an issue. You got a problem. We're talking about two or three pounds here. Did that really, was that the reason why Jalen Rager had a less than thrilling first year in the NFL? Did the Eagles really believe that? Well, I mean, they put the weight clause in there for a reason. And, you know, I'm not a nutritionist. I know when I'm two or three pounds overweight, <laughs> I feel pretty sluggish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's been a long time since I've only been two or three pounds overweight. So uh, I don't know. Uh, but the, yeah. 90s, the 90s were tricky for all of us. That day. <laughs> Is that the 190s? But yeah. Uh, well, I, yeah, but it's a good point, Jody. I mean, listen. You know, those weight clauses are in there for a reason. You could ask uh, anybody that's got them in their contracts. I don't know if you guys have them in your contracts, but true. Well, I uh, hope not. Yeah. I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah. John and I would be having to pay to do the show <laughs> rather than actually getting paid the uh, $7 an hour we get. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, you like to think that it's not just more excuse making for the type of year that Jalen had. Um, you hope that it's more than that, uh, that, that it actually is something that impacted his play last year. You know, I think it was more the injuries. Uh, I think, and, you know, listen, John was there when we had Aaron Moorhead on uh, Zoom last year when Aaron Moorhead, the receivers coach, talked about Jalen Rager feeling some some pressure, that you could see that he did feel some pressure of being a number one draft pick. Um, and that's something that all guys have to deal with in their careers if they're picked in the first round. Some can handle it better than others. Others can't. Um, so you hope that maybe that was a big part of it, too, was he did feel some of the pressure, especially in Philadelphia, where you know we all know how much pressure uh, these athletes are under and, and scrutinized. So maybe he just couldn't handle that. And that might be more of a reason why he didn't have as good of a year. The injuries, maybe the weight. But it is you know meaningful nonetheless that he was overweight and he was fine twice yeah Ed. whatever the reason as you mentioned and i would say probably injuries more than anything else set jalen back i i mean you you talked about how heavy he got at the combine now that to me makes some sense but for whatever reason he did not look like the guy he looked like on tape 
from an explosiveness standpoint. So whether it's weight, injuries, competence, what have you, what, the guy on tape is not the guy who showed up here from an explosion standpoint. And I think maybe the Eagles are grasping at straws, but I look at it this way. I look at it at Devontae Smith because everybody, and we had Chris Walsh, who's on, you know, covers Alabama for Sports Illustrated. He said, you know, the first thing you do, you look at Devontae Smith, what do you want to do? Nick Saban wanted to do it. Put weight on. Don't mess with the kid. Don't mess with him. And and these, you know, because if he gains 15 pounds like Jalen Rager did to get ready for the combine, maybe that has a negative uh, uh, really negative direction for him as a player. Yeah, I, I think there's always that push to be bigger, stronger. You know, there's always this emphasis on getting bigger. And uh, for some guys, it just doesn't work. It doesn't play into their skill set. And uh, I remember I went to the combine when Jalen was there. And you don't know the Eagles are going to take Jalen Rager, but I remember being in there when they brought him out to the podium and he talked about the weight gain and he felt like he needed to get stronger and he didn't think that it would impact his athleticism. So whoever told him to do that, obviously it was bad advice um, because he's not the same player at 206 as he presumably will be at 192 pounds or whatever it's going to be. Um, and you're right about Devontae Smith. It's funny because Eagles have a 166-pound receiver, a 190-pound receiver that they want to stay at 190. Mm. Um, you know, all these weight issues with their receivers. Uh, but Devontae Smith it was a great player at 166 pounds. I wouldn't put more than 10 pounds on him. Maybe you get him to 175 because over the course of a season, you're going to lose weight uh, just because of the nature of the game and the workouts and whatnot. So, you know, I would try to get him up to 175, and then he'll probably lose five to 10 pounds during the course of the season and be right where he needs to be. But that's the concern with him 166 pounds. You know, that might work in the SEC as tough of a conference as it is, but we're going to see if it's going to play in the NFL where guys are bigger, stronger, faster. Uh, and, and you hope that, you know, he can, his frame can uh, put up with the hits that he's going to take. Yeah, I think he'll be just fine at whatever weight that he plays at. He's a, a stud and a star, and I think he'll be that in the National Football League, too. All right, uh, John and I already discussed it. want to get your take on the major announcement the Eagle made about their front office staff, a couple promotions, one specific hire of Dave Caldwell. Um, you guys who cover it on a day-in, day-out basis get a chance, not as much as you used to, uh, to talk to individuals within the organization <clears> and get a feel of who does what and who's in charge of what and where they actually have influence um, from learning the way that the Eagles organization has worked over these last several years. How big a reorganization was it in your mind uh, on Thursday of last weekend? Yeah. You know, I like the Caldwell hire. I mean, it's a guy with experience in the league. Um, you know, a guy who does know his way around the NFL. And I think that'll only benefit the Eagles. I Obviously the highlight, and I, I heard you guys talking about it when I was in the green room is, you know, the hiring of Catherine Raish and Amina, uh, you know, the scout, I can't, I can't say her name. John did a great job <laughs> with pronouncing her name, but um, you know, that that's two real good feathers in the Eagles cap, in my opinion, to bring on, uh, you know, the first Muslim that's been hired. They promote the woman, Catherine uh, Raish, to, uh, you know, a high role in the front office. I mean, I, I think that's great for the Eagles to have done that, whether or not they'll 
you know, pay dividends for the for the organization. You hope they will, but we, we don't know. Um, but I like the Caldwell hire. That's a good, it's kind of an uh, under the radar uh, hiring because of Catherine and Amina being hired. So I like the hire of Caldwell. I think that you know uh, any extra voice or added experienced voice that you can give Howie and his staff uh, is going to be a benefit. and It's going to pay off. And um, this is you know right now we're kind of in that point of the off season where you know, much of the rosters in place, you're already kind of looking at 2022. And that's where I think these, these new hires will pay dividends is, you know, heading into next year's off season. Um, and even this year, you know, there's a few players out there that could still hold some value to the Eagles. Uh, you're looking at other teams rosters at this point to possibly evaluate a trade perhaps this summer. Um, and that's where some experienced voices like Caldwell can, can come into play because he knows uh, other personnel in the league that maybe Howie and his staff aren't as familiar with. So, um, yeah, I, I think it was there were good moves. Uh, you know, it's too soon to say how big a dividend they will pay. But, uh, you know, right now, sitting here, you know, two, a week after the announcement was made, I, I like the moves. Well, you mentioned, sort of alluded to it, Ed. It is June 1st. That's a big day on the NFL calendar. We're going to have to talk to Zach Ertz. We'll get to Zach Ertz, but put him aside for a second. Uh, the highest profile guy out there right now, besides the quarterbacks, if you think someone is available, Julio Jones. The Eagles had some interest. I don't think Julio has any interest in the Eagles, but the Eagles had some interest. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, listen. I the whole the whole Julio thing broke, you know, last week when I was in Hilton Head. To be honest, so I I didn't really you know give it a whole lot of credence because I didn't think it was possible. I you know I made a couple calls uh, midweek on it, didn't hear anything back, and then Saturday, uh, you know, I I heard back from from two people within an hour um, that, that that there is an interest. It not was an interest or had an interest. There is an interest in bringing in Julio Jones. Um, you know, I wouldn't say they're the front runners at this point. Uh, I think maybe the, you know, I know the Seahawks have talked to Julio bringing him in for Russell Wilson. And and I think the 49ers are in play. I think the Titans uh, are also in play. And, um, Julio has already said he doesn't want to go back to Atlanta. Um, and listen, that's where I'll give Zach Ertz credit. You know, Ertz has not come out and said one thing negative about having to return to Philadelphia. I mean, that, you know, he hasn't said, I want out, like Julio has said, I won't be back, that kind of thing. Uh, and that's where I give Zach a lot of credit is he's really kind of buttoned it up during this period and hasn't really said anything at all um, about it. Whereas Julio has said, I don't want to come back to Atlanta. Um, and June 1st, like you mentioned, is, you know, this day in the NFL where, you know, players can be cut or traded and more money can be saved against the cap. And in the Atlanta situation, they can trade or even cut Julio right now and save all uh, $15.3 million under their salary cap. Um, so he's going. Julio's leaving Atlanta. And, you know, whether it's going to be coming here to Philly or Tennessee or San Francisco, Seattle, wherever. Uh, Julio's gone. He's out there. He's a Hall of Fame wide receiver with Hall of Fame numbers. Um, yes, he's 32. Yes, he was limited to nine games last year. He had a nagging hamstring. Um, but for the most part, he's been healthy throughout his career. This guy's a real plum, in my opinion, on the on the on the market. I I'm not nearly as connected as you guys are. You got better league sources than I do. But I have a couple. And uh, when this Julio Jones thing broke, it was the day that he went on uh, Undisputed with uh, Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless and 
on on live television on the cell phone of Chad and Sharp said, "Well, I'm out of here uh, for Atlanta." Uh, so I, I checked in with one of my NFL sources that I thought would have some good info. And here's the one thing that my guy told me that hasn't been as widely reported elsewhere. Atlanta's certainly willing to trade him. They're not desperate to trade him the way some people are painting the picture, but they're willing to trade him. But they have their asking price, and their asking price is a first-round pick, and they want to assume none of Julio Jones's contract. If you're willing to give him a one and you're willing to take Julio and his entire contract, I think the Atlanta Falcons will trade him to anybody. Now, um, the team has got to want to do that, and Julio's got to at least express some desire to go there or be okay with going there. I think this is much more difficult to trade than people are making it out to be because my source told me Atlanta has its asking price, and until they get their asking price, they're not moving Julio Jones which to me is the biggest reason that the Eagles won't get Julio Jones. There's, he doesn't really fit. They'd have to do some more cap maneuvering to get it done. Here's the biggest reason why the Eagles aren't going to give up their first round draft pick. Cause it might be a tight f- top five pick in the league this year. Even if you had Julio, it might be a top 10 pick in the league this year. They're not going to make that kind of a deal. And I don't know if a high second round pick like the Eagles may very well be getting, is going to get the deal done because I'm hearing that Atlanta wants a one. And if it's not a one, he's not going anywhere. Yeah, I wouldn't give up a, a first round pick either, for sure. Uh, you know, <laughs> the Eagles like that draft capital and I wouldn't see them parting with a first round pick at all. Second round pick, I might be tempted. Um, you know, you may even have two seconds, depending on Carson Wentz's playing time and only two first. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the bottom line is they're going to have four picks in the first two rounds. And, um, you know, if it's a second round pick, uh, I know this, the, it's a lot of money, um, especially going forward. You know, I mean, he's a big cap hit in future years here, so they'd have to figure out a way to restructure his deal, but they would have time to do that. Um, a second round pick, I would, I would certainly be tempted to do it for Julio Jones. First round pick, no way. And you're right. The Falcons are really, they're not in any desperation move to have to trade him. Uh, they can hang on to whatever it is they're asking and keep that their asking price. It's sort of similar to the Eagles with Zach Ertz. You know, they they had a fifth round offer from the uh, Los Angeles Chargers for him before they signed uh, Jared Cook. Um, and, the, and how he didn't want to part uh, with Zach for a fifth round pick. Uh, so Roseman is the same way. He has an asking price for Ertz. He's not coming off of it. Um, but now he may have to cut him if they want to make some other moves because June 1st is here. They can save eight and a half million under the cap, which would put them above 16 million. They're going to need, you know, three to 0.7 million or so to sign their draft picks. Um, Julio would be a tight fit in that salary cap. It wouldn't allow them a whole lot of flexibility going forward. They'd have to redo the contracts of Elaine Johnson or Fletcher Cox. Um, so yeah, Julio is, is absolutely a long shot, but you know, the Eagles are interested, you know, the, the, if something were to happen and Atlanta was to come off of its asking price, or they're finding that nobody wants to give them a first round pick and Julio is not going to show up at training camp and he's going to, he's going to make this stand and he's not going to play for the Falcons at all. Then they're going to have to come off that price and they're going to have to deal them, uh, and get what they can get for him because, you know, having a Julio Jones sit on the sidelines all season isn't helping them either. Very true. 
Yeah, that's true. Uh, I, I do want to play devil's advocate here. And I wrote about Julio as well. And you could read Ed and my work at SI.com backslash NFL backslash Eagles. Ed, you know, Jody's right. The Eagles aren't giving up their first round pick. They're not giving up Miami's first round pick that they have. But that conditional pick to Indianapolis, you can trade that and you you can move that perspective. You know, you have to obviously wrangle out the, the monetary issues, but the Eagles could do it. Zach Ertz being released or traded. You mentioned restructures. They still have Fletcher Cox in the back pocket, Lane Johnson. And you talk about a football fit. Julio Jones, ex-receiver, lets you play Devontae Smith at Z, Jalen Rager in the slot. Jalen's already said he's going to play in the slot a lot more from a football standpoint, perfect fit. My concern is the Eagles seem to talk themselves. It's becoming an annual tradition. Season ends, Ed, we get Howie. Howie says we got to get younger. We got to turn over the roster. Things move forward. They say, you know what? We're a little bit better than people think we are. Let's let's try to make a run in a bad division. When does this stop? 32-year-old guy. I love Julio Jones. Everybody should want Julio Jones. Some teams aren't in a position to get him. Now, I don't think he wants to come here because I think he wants to play for a contender. But why do the Eagles go down this rabbit hole every single year? Well, it's very tempting, first of all. But, you know, as far as getting younger, I think the Eagles are doing that. I mean, they drafted 10 guys last year, eight of whom are still on the team. They drafted another nine guys this year. You have 17 players who are rookies or second-year guys. That's a, that's a pretty big number uh, of players. Now you have all this draft capital. Next year you're going to even get younger guys again. Um, so you just can't win in the NFL with all young guys. You need veteran players, and the Eagles have those. And Julio Jones is 32, yeah, uh, but do you think the Eagles might be able to contend with him to win the NFC East and maybe make a run? Uh, you know, a receiving, <laughs> I mean, a receiving core of Julio Jones, Devontae Smith, and Jalen Rager is potentially very good. It would allow the Eagles to even assess Jalen Hurts to see what they have. Now they've got him a weapon, a veteran weapon in the building that would help them even uh, greater evaluate Jalen Hurts' play going forward. Is he the answer or isn't he? Julio gives you a better answer to that question, I think, if he's in the building. Um, and, you know, it's funny because you say he wouldn't come here, but, you know, he looks at Jalen Hurts, an Alabama guy, you know, he went to Oklahoma. He looks at Devontae Smith, an Alabama guy. Landon Dickerson, another Alabama guy. Julio Jones is an Alabama guy. We all know how he doesn't like Alabama guys, or at least he didn't. Now he's kind of, you know, seen the light, uh, and he, he's looking at Alabama guys. Uh, the wife always wins, Ed. The wife <laughs> always wins. Yeah, she's got family there in Alabama. So um, happy wife, happy life. Is that what they say? No, what they ha say. Happy Eagles with Alabama players. That's the only thing yeah. I yeah. care about. Uh, yeah. uh, let me go here, Ed. Yes, the Eagles are, as of today, going to get some salary cap relief. The post-June 1st designations kick in with uh, Malik Jackson and, and Alshon Jeffries. So they certainly have enough money to sign all their draft picks. And they've got more flexibility than they did uh, 24 hours ago. 
We've been waiting for a cornerback signing. The name Jimmy Delta gets thrown around all the time. There are others out there. We still look at the depth chart and go, really? Is it what they're going to go to war with, the cornerback? Today is a significant day because they've got a little bit more flexibility to do so. Are they going to get more aggressive in their cornerback pursuit? Will we see something done at corner over the next two or three days because we are now post-June 1st? Yeah, great, great question. I mean, Stephen Nelson is the name that always gets thrown out there. He's still available, surprisingly still available. Um, but, you know, he, he obviously is looking for more money than what's been offered. And he's hoping, I guess, that after June 1st, when teams are able to free up some more cap uh, room, that that will happen. Um, you know, we saw the Buffalo Bills just uh, redo Stefan Diggs's contract and they have an extra seven million. That's a place, by the way, to keep an eye on for Zach Ertz. Uh, now they have a little bit more money. Uh, to fit Ertz under the cap. But, yeah, that cornerback position, uh, what names are out there other than Steven Nelson? I mean, you know, Gary and Conley, he's always hurt, kind of an underachiever. There's not a whole lot of uh, talent, I don't think, that would make this roster significantly better. Uh, So you almost have to start looking at the trade market. I mean, I don't think a corner, unless it's going to be Nelson – I don't think a corner is going to come until later this summer, to be honest with you, in some sort of a trade or even later than that, if teams start, you know, reducing their rosters back down to the 53 man limit. Uh, If somebody shakes loose, maybe somebody comes in late. Um, But, you know, I think that in, in Gannon's system, the way he's going to play his safeties, I think the safety position is stronger than the cornerback. And there's been a lot of talk about using these three safety sets in Gannon's system, um, you know, with McLeod, uh, Harris, and, you know, either Kayvon Wallace or Jacoby Stevens or uh, Marcus Epps. Uh, you know, I think they're going to play a lot with three safeties on the field and they're going to cover up any deficiencies they have on the corner. So, you know, maybe they are comfortable with Avante Maddox there. Uh, you know, I know none of us are. Uh, we've seen how that that experiment went last year with Avante. He, of course, w- wasn't able to stay healthy either. Um, but maybe someone like a Mike- Michael Jaquette, who's got the length. Um, you know, Gannon was asked about that. And, you know, he won with, you know, some corners in Indianapolis that were pretty unheralded. Um, guys that came in and, and not a lot was made of. So, you know, maybe they feel comfortable with what's on this roster right now, even though we're not. I don't know how you would be, to be honest, but maybe they feel like, you know what, we're okay with a Jaquette or a Maddox or whoever, as long as we have these three safeties that have the experience. And Kayvon Wallace really doesn't have that experience. He's in his second year. But, um, you know, maybe they feel comfortable enough to let this question kind of linger into the offseason more a little bit like they did in 2017 when they waited until August to get Ronald Darby. Um, That's kind of what I think is going to happen here. I think that the answer is going to come later rather than sooner. And it's going to create a lot of angst among uh, fans and and media. By the way, curveball as well. Well, Ed, while you were living the life in Hilton Head, (laughs) uh, at Eagles practice, if you want to call it that, we call it a gathering here. <laughs> Avante Maddox was doing drills with the safeties. Yeah. So maybe Avante Maddox is the third safety. Um, or he sort of waits, you know, because Rodney McLeod is not healthy. Rodney McLeod tours ACL in December. No guarantee he's going to be ready week one. So maybe Avante slides in to that free safety position, at least until Rodney comes back. So you got to throw that into the equation as well. 
And you, very prudent, very well done, though, Ed. You bring up Stephon Diggs. I did not know if you saw that, that Bill's restructured his deal, get a lot of cap space. First thing I thought of, June 1st, Zach Ertz, Buffalo. Is that is that what is happening? I mean, listen, the, you know, the, the runway's been set with the clearing of, of the cap room for someone like a Zach Ertz, and they need a tight end. And, and you know, their, their GM uh, – Brandon Bean talked about wanting to get better at that position in the offseason, and they haven't done that yet. Um, so, yeah, Zach Ertz makes a lot of sense to Buffalo. You put him with Josh Allen, you know, would that be the last piece to unseat the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC and get to the Super Bowl? You know, Bean might think so. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's certainly in play. Would Buffalo be willing to meet the asking price of Howie Roseman? Because, like I said, uh, you know, he's not budging. You know, he's had opportunities to budge and he's just not doing it. He wants what he wants. He believes Zach Ertz still has value, as do I. He's only 30, uh, just turned 30 in November. So, I mean, I think Ertz has plenty to plenty left to give uh, a team. Uh, and nobody had a good year for the Eagles last year, Ertz among them. I think that was an anomaly. I think he'll be fine for another couple of years. And maybe Buffalo uh, is poised now. Uh, to make a run and see if Howie will accept maybe something a little less than what he's asking for and hope he budges. If not, maybe they meet his price. Eddie, last one for me. And uh, I had not seen this until it popped up on our buddy, uh, Brendan Lee Gowton's website on uh, Bleeding Green Nation, uh, that according to heavy.com, new up and coming website that uh, has got some pretty good content on it, that the Chicago Bears at one point were attempting to move on from Nick Foles after trading from him last year, after seeing what he did on the field for them. Uh, they they were ready to give Nick Foles another shot somewhere else. And they actually made contact with the Philadelphia Eagles to see if Nick Foles wanted to return to the fold here in Philadelphia. And that Nick said, thank you, no. He didn't want to return to Philadelphia. The only thing that's not really gone into in-depth in this reporting is, well, what was the timing of it? Because if the timing of, depending on what the timing is, it'll tell you something about Nick Falls. If this was right at the end of the year, when the year ended, uh, before Carson Wentz was traded, I certainly understand Nick saying, yeah, no, I don't want to do Philly again. But if it was after Carson was traded, and when you knew Jalen Hurts was going to get the nod, and it was that time, why wouldn't Nick Foles want to come back here to Philadelphia? Andy Dalton being in Chicago. Now that uh, they've drafted a quarterback with a top uh, 11 pick, Nick Foles right now sitting third on that depth chart as far as I'm concerned. What did you make of this Nick Foles was actually offered back here to Philadelphia report? Yeah, I, I just saw that right before I came on. And it's interesting. And you're right about the timing. I, you know, I would speculate that the timing was right around when we were all hearing uh, in March, right when free agency kind of began or the week before, uh, you know, early March. And by then, Carson was already known to be on his way out of town. So uh, but, you know, there was a lot of, of talk and rumor and reports that, that the Eagles could bring Foles back. Uh, to be the backup to Jalen Hurts at that time in March when they knew that Carson was moving on. So my thinking would be it may have been around that time period and Nick still didn't want to come back. But again, that's just my speculation. Um, but, it, you know, it, it, 
if you're Nick, I mean, you already have a statue sitting outside of the, of the stadium. I mean, what can you do for an encore? Do you need a bigger statue now? Do you come back? And you know, <laughs> there would be a lot of uh, of pressure on Nick to come in and hey, you know, let's let's uh, put that lightning back in the bottle and go to a Super Bowl and win it again with Nick as our quarterback. Uh, that, that's a lot to ask. And, you know, remember Foles is a guy that, you know, five or six years ago was contemplating retiring. He took the long camping trip out into the woods and, you know, Andy Reid was able to reach him on his cell phone in the rare, you know, time that he had to, to get the cell phone service out there in the woods. Reid calls him and uh, talks him out of possibly retiring and coming into Kansas City. So, you know, Nick's a guy that wants to play football on his terms, I guess, and maybe these terms in Philadelphia were just too great a pressure for him, and he wants to try somewhere else. I mean, but Nick's only played well in Philadelphia. Everywhere else he's been, St. Louis, yeah. Jacksonville, Chicago. Yeah. Um, but but that's a lot of pressure, and if Nick's not comfortable with it, then then, you know, so be it. Move on and see what else is out there. Yeah. And Ed, you got to get Brandon Graham. Brandon will get mad at you. Remember when Nick came back, he hurt his elbow in training camp, was gone for a long time. And he was thinking about retiring again. And Brandon Graham set him up with an acupuncturist. And all of a sudden he started feeling better. And the rest is history. So Brandon takes credit for the Super Bowl title because of the strip sack. And saving Nick Bowles' career. So a little inside baseball there for you. Yeah, nice. Well done. <laughs> Appreciate uh, the inside baseball. Appreciate you, Ed Kratz. Thanks for coming on. We'll probably on you have you on tomorrow or the next day. We, we, yeah. we ask for your services quite hey, often. Man. It'll be you're like, uh, you're like Canyon Sturts to Joe Torrey. You got to come in for like 127 games. Arm feels good, fellas. Anytime. Arm feels that, good. That's what we like to hear. Ed Kratz from Sports Illustrated here with us on Birds 365. All right, I want to uh, further this conversation about Nick Falls. And again, well uh, documented way, ahead of time. Jody, I want to give Tyler Dunn. He was the one who reported it, so I want to give him credit. Uh, he, he used to work for Bleacher Report. He uh, does his own thing now, sort of, I don't know what it's called, Patreon or whatever, but he was the one who broke the story. He's got a lot of sources. Uh, been around the NFL. He did not mention the timing of the trade or when it was speculated. But I will say, you remember when the Eagles were trading, were about to trade Carson Wentz, Chicago was one of the teams in the mix. So ultimately, if you want to play a little, read a little tea leaves, I would think it would be when they were talking about sending Wentz to Chicago. Do you know Tyler Dunn at all, Johnny Mack? Uh, I know him a little bit, but not not great. Uh, okay. But but I do know he's done a lot of good work. Uh, he's got a lot of sources in the league. So I did want to get him credit because it is his report. Nothing like programming the show while you're actually on the show. Yeah. Um, if you do have a contact for him, I don't think he'd be a bad guy for us to get on these next couple of days if he'd be willing to come on and promote the work that he is doing where he's doing it these days. Cause I do find it a fascinating story about Nick Foles's mindset. He is a guy, at least with a percentage of the fans here in town can do no wrong that he oh, has been yeah. put on a pedestal oh, yeah. that he earned and deserved, but do you just get to stay there for the rest of your days? We'll come back. We'll talk about that. We've still got an hour to go. He's John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. We are birds 365. 
I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. His Birds 365 with the McAmack guys. Jody <laughs> McConnell, John McMullen here with you. Coming up in ooh, less than 20 minutes from now, uh, we'll be joined by Hub Arkish, the executive editor and publisher of Pro Football Weekly, does sideline work for Westwood One on their national games uh, during the year, and also is the uh, NFL insider for The Score, uh, Chicago's top sports talk station uh, on the radio side. Uh, so looking forward to talking to Hub in about 20 minutes from now. But I got to tell you, Johnny Mac, I am fascinated by this Nick Foles story. Mm-hmm. That uh, again, so on Bleeding Green Nation, Brandon uh, Lee Gouton unearthed it from Heavy.com. 
that was uh, getting the information from uh, this guy who I, I'll be completely honest with. I don't recognize Tyler Dunn's name. Um, you tell me he's a good NFL insider. He's doing his own thing, got his own uh, outlet called Go Long uh, subscription site. Uh, that he was the guy who unearthed this story that he was at Nick Foles was actually offered to the Philadelphia Eagles that they looked into it and found out that Nick Foles didn't have any interest coming back to Philadelphia. So that kiboshed any conversations they were having with the Bears. They weren't going to get Nick Foles only to bring him back and find out he didn't really want to be here. Um, the timing of this is very key, but Foles' attitude toward Philadelphia also intrigues me greatly <laughs> if you are with the chicago bears you've just had a less than stellar season let's be honest nick didn't play real well for chicago as pointed out by both you and ed kratz where does nick Foles play well other than philadelphia the answer is nowhere uh you're now given a chance to come back to philadelphia again if it is either going to be in a carson wentz trade where he's going to <laughs> chicago and you're coming back as part of the package or after Carson Wentz is dealt to Indianapolis and, you know, coming back, your competition is going to be Jalen Hurts. If you're Nick Foles, why wouldn't you want to come back here to Philadelphia? It doesn't compute for me. I know Ed Kratz, when we just had him on, said it's a lot of pressure. Isn't that what players want? Isn't that why we're a little annoyed with no, Carson Wentz? Because he doesn't like the pressure of Jalen Hurts looking over his shoulder as a second-round draft pick? Well, can we not say the same thing about Nick Foles if this is true, that one of the reasons why he didn't want to come back to the Eagles in a trade was because, oh, wow, it'd be pressure to be the starting quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> I thought Nick I Foles could – I thought Nick Foles walked on water. In, in the eyes of some people here in this town, what do you mean Nick Foles couldn't handle the pressure of being the Philadelphia Eagles starting quarterback? That's not the Nick Foles that I hear described in this town. We need to get to the bottom of this, Johnny Mack. Yeah, I, 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 I have no idea other than maybe Nick is at the realization like, okay, I don't want to do this again, not again, not returning. It doesn't make any sense from his standpoint. This is the only city he's had success. He's very popular. He's overly popular. I would argue as far as what type of player he is for obvious reasons. Uh, I don't think he's a starting quarterback in this league. I think he proved that in Jacksonville. I think he proved that in Chicago. Uh, I think he's a great backup, though, and I think that's what he would have been brought in here to do. Um, I I kind of go back to what I asked Ed about Julio Jones. It's like, why do you keep going down the same avenue with the Eagles? From the Eagles' standpoint, I don't know why they want that nonsense because I wouldn't want the specter of, of Nick Bowles hanging over a young quarterback. So uh, from the Eagles' uh, standpoint, I think it's a mistake. From Nick's standpoint, if they wanted him, I have no idea why he wouldn't want to come back. He ultimately probably, if you want to be honest and you want to play the odds, would have been given an opportunity to play at some point. And if he played well, which is a big if, he, he would be given the opportunity to stay on the field. So I don't get it. But, you know, if I could get into people's minds, Jody, it, it, everything would be easy. 
Well, that's kind of what we do. Uh, yeah. You know, John, I've been doing this sports talk thing for 30 plus years, and it's a prerequisite for the job. You have to try and get inside people's minds. Again, we'll veer off for just a second, but then come right back. My thought process was the reason that Doc Rivers didn't pull Ben Simmons from last night's game when, my opinion, he should have, when they go to the first hack of Ben and he only makes one out of two and you've still got a minute and change before you get to the two-minute mark where you actually pay a bigger price for fouling a guy who doesn't have the ball in his hands. I think the reason he didn't do it was he feared that it would get inside Ben Simmons' head. Do I know that? No, that's just my read of the situation. That's me no. trying to get in Doc yeah, Rivers' head. Read, I, I got a bigger conspiracy than you, Jody. Here's my read. Daryl Morey wanted to trade Ben Simmons, wasn't able to. Wanted to get James Harden. Houston didn't want to steer James Harden to Daryl Morey because they don't like Daryl Morey. Tried to trade him, couldn't trade him, understands he needs to get better at the end of games to win a championship. I think the, the Sixers are going to play him hell or high water to prove, hey, we got to move on. And then the skids are easier. They're greased in the offseason. They say, look, the, you see the, the issues at the end of the games with Ben Simmons. We have to go in a different direction. It makes that easier. That's my conspiracy theory. They're going to play him no matter what. And you're going to see the problem with him on the court, and they're going to shine the light on it and say, we tried. Now we got to go in a different direction. Okay. Your conspiracy theory runs even deeper than mine. I don't yeah. think it's near that much. I think Doc Rivers is just trying to protect the kid because he doesn't believe that he's got well, I think he's enough trying mental to. fortitude and toughness that if he gets pulled out of the game, all he'll do is second-guess himself all the way back on the bus or train ride hour they got back from D.C. to Philadelphia last night. It's going to last for the rest of this yeah. series and or the next series and or the series after that. That's my guess. You've got By yours. the way, I, I, I think it goes – I also agree he's trying to protect him. He's trying to get the most out of him as a head coach. So I agree with your standpoint. I think it goes a little bit farther. If he, if, he, if he turns the corner – Think of it from the Sixers' standpoint. If he turns the corner, great. We win. We win a championship. If he doesn't, you can say, look, there's no more argument. We have this big issue at the end of close games. We can't. We have hit a ceiling. We have to go in a different direction. Right. But if you also do that, you expose Ben Simmons and he doesn't get it done his value across the league also comes down. So wanting to go in another direction and being able well, to move him. For I, I think part of the problem is the value is so uh, inflated by people in this city. And I think the real, the, the Sixers know what his value is. They know they have a firm grasp. And I think everybody in the league, I think it is overvalued, overestimated, inflated, in this particular city amongst a group. Obviously, it's always a group. And I think if they see it, it it, it becomes more realistic. And then from Daryl Morey's standpoint, you don't take as many hits because people say, oh, you're trading a generational talent and you only got blah, blah, blah. It's not a generational talent. You're seeing the flaws. You're seeing the flaws. On that, we do agree. And uh, I'm trying to figure out where Nick Foles' head is at. And again, we do need to know the exact 
timing timing of when this supposed conversation had between the Bears and the Eagles about potentially Nick Foles coming back here. And if it got to the point that Nick Foles was asked as to whether you want to go back to the Eagles, it means the Eagles didn't just dismiss it out of hand, that they uh, said they were intrigued by it enough to say, well, does Nick want to come back and be a quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles again? And then that's where the stumbling block hit. Uh, if that's the case, I, again, got, I, I just thought of something, Jody. Maybe the taxes are too high in Hanfield. I mean, maybe he doesn't want to come back. The taxes alone. Well, that's, he was in Florida, and now he was he was in Hanfield. He was in Florida. He's not where in Chicago the, anymore. He's not in uh, Jacksonville Chicago, anymore. He's in Chicago. Chicago. What are the taxes bad. like, McMullen? You know everything. What are the taxes like outside Horrible. of Chicago in whatever suburb he's living? They can't be any worse in Hanfield than they are in Chicago. Well, they could be worse in Hanfield, but nonetheless, yeah, Chicago's bad as well. What I'm trying to say is maybe he wants to get back to Florida. Now Jacksonville's out, but you have other teams as well, what or Texas. It? He's going to be two is back up. They already have Tyrod Taylor. He's not going to, to Miami. Uh, they, they, they've got. Uh, How about guys. Tampa? Well, Tampa wants to groom that trash kid that they took yeah, in the second come, round. Well, come on. He's not ready. He's not ready. Bring Nikki Foles to be in between. No, uh, I'm just, oh, oh, by the way, Brady and Nick Foles Brady. never shake hands. So that's not happening. Those two oh, guys yeah. get You're Brady doesn't him. like Nick Foles. He beat him in the biggest game uh, that they yeah. ever faced off against yeah. each other. Oh, by the way, he beat him this year too with Chicago, yep. and Brady refused to shake his hand again. So uh, I'd say Mr. Brady has a little say in you what happens. You don't have to tell me, Jody. Position. I have numerous email proof of people telling me Nick Foles, Nick Foles is better than Tom Brady because he beat Tom Brady. Right, in uh, not one, but two games. He did right. beat him last year. It was the highlight yeah, of his entire season yeah. was beating the Bucks this past year. All right, uh, we're going to get Habarkish up here in a couple of minutes. Uh, Johnny Mac, I know it doesn't kick in until 4 o'clock, so we're assuming, but much like uh, June 1st designation, <clears throat> you can do it ahead of time. You can say uh, it leaked out ahead of time, but it's not going to become official till after 4 o'clock. Are we going to get something before we get on Birds 365 tomorrow? Is there going to be an eagle move over the next 24 hours because of the new salary cap flexibility in the league? Um, there's a possibility. I don't know if it's going to happen that quickly in 24 hours. As we mentioned, Buffalo's clearing space for some reason, um, and, and people are already speculating in Buffalo as well that it could be for Zach Ertz, so. Um, how quickly that comes together, 24 hours, starts at 4 o'clock, probably not. But uh, within the week, maybe, maybe have some significant movement. I, I do think Stephen Nelson is going to have to declare something at some point. There's, you know, 17 teams, according to his agent, interested in Stephen Nelson. So we'll see. I guarantee of those 17 teams, Shody, only one can say, hey, you walk in here tomorrow, you're the starting quarterback. That's true. Uh, again, we, we like to sit here and question people's motives like we're doing with Nick Falls, or at least I'm doing with Nick Falls. His motive should be, yeah, you know, I'd actually like to kind of get back out onto the field. And wow. he's got a better chance to do so here in Philadelphia. But let, let me turn it into a question. 
if once again the Bears reached out to the Eagles and said, "Yeah, we'll give you Nick Foles," we're just looking for salary cap relief post June first designation. You got to give us a conditional seventh round draft pick, which has a chance to go to nothing, uh, depending on the amount of plays that he actually plays for them this upcoming year. So they 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 basically hand him to the Eagles. How did the Eagles? How does the Eagle depth chart work? Is Joe Flacco just screwed that he was signed to come in here and be the backup quarterback? Even though, according to Joe, he's coming in here to compete with Jalen Hurts, which is a little optimistic. But uh, how does it go if Nick Foles actually did end up back here in Philadelphia? Well, I think if he ended up back here, Joe wouldn't be here. So it would be, uh, obviously, it would be Jalen Hurts, Nick Foles, and turned out to be Jamie Newman as the third string rookie quarterback, I think it would be the same. Just Joe Flacco wouldn't be here. Nick Foles would be here. Um, you think they just flat out release Flacco? No. Oh, you're saying now I'm saying, no, they wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, bring in Nick Foles now that they have Joe Flacco. My assumption is they tried to bring in Nick Foles first. Well, they couldn't get Nick Foles. They brought in Joe Flacco. I see what you're saying. You're saying if they brought him in now, right. I don't I don't think the Eagles would have any interest in bringing him now. I I hope they wouldn't have any interest in bringing him now. Because again, we're uh, believing this report uh, to be accurate and we don't know all the details of the timing of this report. Um it may have come down before they signed <laughs> Joe Flacco. Yeah, I'm almost because- certain it came down before. This was their first option for a backup quarterback, Nick Bowles. And once they couldn't get Nick Bowles, then they turned to Joe Flacco. Now they've made their decision. If that is the case, then I will once again ask you, why didn't Foles want to come back here? If the Eagles wanted him, if the Eagles were willing to acquire him, be it in a Carson Wentz trade or a post-Carson Wentz separate trade with the Bears, why would Foles not want to come back here to Philadelphia as compared to Chicago? Because remember, he didn't sign with Chicago. He signed with Jacksonville. The Jags gave him all that money. The Jags are in the state of Florida where the taxes are a little bit easier. I, I, Nick Foles was dealt to Chicago and didn't handpick Chicago. Are you telling me Chicago is a better place to be these days than Philadelphia? If you're a, I'm just going to use the word quarterback. Not even designate starter or backup because I don't think you can say starter with Nick Foles. It's either a competitor at the quarterback position or a stone cold backup. If you're one of those two, isn't Philly a better place for Nick Foles than Chicago these days? Maybe, certainly these days, because the Bears have gone out and drafted Justin Fields. They also signed Andy Dalton, so he's buried now. Um, at the time, he wasn't buried. Uh, who knows? They might not even have gotten Dalton. Maybe saw a path to playing time in Chicago uh, long before Justin Fields got there. There was never going to be playing time in Chicago. There's not going to be playing time in Philadelphia. There's not going to be playing time anywhere unless there's injuries. Maybe saw an easier path to playing time. Maybe Mitchell Trubisky was still there. He knows how bad Mitch was. Um it's before everything started. But Ryan Pace, and that's the thing Tyler wrote about. He wrote about the, the Bears' search for a quarterback. 
they knew they had to move on from Mitchell Trubisky, Nick Foles, all the nonsense. And uh, they ultimately did it with the bridge to, to Justin Fields and Andy Dalton. They ultimately drafted Fields, traded up to get him. We know that. Um, yeah, now he's buried. So, you know, he might even get cut. So the Eagles will have that opportunity. Maybe they can bring him up off the street. Right. And uh, they can just decide as to whether he is actually better than a Joe Flacco option as their backup. Uh, My guy, Greg Ward, over the last couple of days has come to the defense of Jalen Hurts. That He says people aren't giving Jalen Hurts enough credit for what he did in his uh, little cameo at the end of last year's Eagle game, specifically stating that he threw the ball very well downfield. Uh, he was one of the top guys at 30-yard passes over the last five weeks of the season four, which, of course, he started. Um, smart move on Greg Ward's part. When in doubt, suck up to the quarterback. Mm. He did uh, have no issues throwing the ball to Greg Ward late in the season. Ward got a couple of his touchdowns. That would be Philadelphia receiver leading touchdowns this past year. Um, he did get a couple of them from Jalen Hurts. Uh, these two have a pretty good relationship. We hope that Devonta Smith and Hurts have a uh, continuing relationship from their time in Alabama. And Jalen Rager is also trying to work into that relationship. Um, the Eagles are at least putting their wide receivers in a position to grow this year and be better. It all comes down to whether Jalen Hurts uh, can be that guy. Um, do you think that it moved more in that direction since the season has ended or less? Uh, more, no question. I mean, it, when you talk about relationships with Jalen Hurts and the receivers, that's not a problem. I mean, they all love him. They've all gotten together in Texas near his home um, to work out. Uh, when they're not at the facility, that's Greg Ward is in that group. Jalen Rager's in that group. Uh, I'm not sure if Devontae, because it was later in the process, but I'm sure he will be over the summer. They're very close anyway. Um, and have been for years. So one thing, and I've said this pretty consistently, consistently, you don't have to worry about is Jalen's going to get along with the receivers. Now, from the receiver standpoint, it's always good to, you know, put an apple on the desk, Jody, you know, make the quarterback like you. Uh, (laughs) It can't hurt. One of the things, you know, when – Carson Wentz went to Indianapolis. I thought the dumbest thing was Michael Pittman coming out and saying, oh, I got 11. I'm not giving 11 to 11. Now, ultimately, Carson Wentz shows. What's he wearing? Two, I think, number two. It was a single-digit number. Yeah, you might be right. It might be two. Yeah, number two. Yeah, because Hertz was number two, and it was funny because uh, he was number two. He changes to number one because he's the quarterback one, but that's not why he changed, but – and Carson took number two in Indianapolis. Um, point is, if you're Michael Pittman, the guy throwing you the football, maybe make him happy, Michael Pittman. Who the hell are you? But, you know, whatever. Make mm-hmm. the quarterback happy if you're a receiver is my yeah. point. Maybe the moral Mike, of that story. Maybe Michael Pittman is just that confident and cocky to believe he believes, oh, no, no, Carson Wentz needs to suck up to me rather than me uh... having to suck doesn't, doesn't work usually that work that way. No. Yes, there are very few wide receivers in this league, Michael Pittman not being one of them, that are in that kind of position to say, yeah, yeah, you're the quarterback, 
you need to be uh, my friend rather than I have to be your friend. He's John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. We are the Bird 60, uh, 365 guys. Coming back, we'll talk to one of the best national writers in the country. He's been doing it for years. He's on the sidelines for Westwood One. He's got his finger on the pulse of the National Football League. Hub Arkish is going to join us right here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Welcome back here to Birds 365. Mac and Mac guys, John McMullen. Jody McDonald, uh, we got a solid 35 minutes left with you here today. Um, our next guest, I know it seems this way, but I will absolutely guarantee to you that it is not a requirement that you have better hair on your chin than you do on the rest of mm-hmm. your dome. 
although it almost always seems to work out that way with us. Joining us here on Birds 365 is the executive editor of Pro Football Weekly, contributor on Westwood One's coverage of the National Football League and NFL insider for the score in Chicago. Hub Arkish jumped aboard with us on Birds 365. How was your Memorial Day weekend, Hub? Uh, very good. How are you guys doing? Doing well, Hub. Uh, since you're based in Chicago, let's start there with you. And obviously the Bears have uh, been a story for Justin Fields and obviously moving up in the draft. The whole process as a whole with Ryan Pace as a general manager, a lot of people from the outside looking in uh, project him as being on the hot seat, maybe Matt Nagy being on the hot seat. How did that factor into this decision to go quarterback in the first round of the draft? You know, John, it, it certainly would suggest that Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy may be the only two guys who don't think they're on the hot seat. <laughs> future first round picks and then using the pick that you get on a guy who's not likely to see the field, at least on opening day. And, and, and you know, if they have their way, not a whole lot this year. They don't sound like guys who are in a win now mode. Now, you know, you flip that around a little bit, you got to realize the three years they've been together in Chicago, they're 29 and 21. They've been to the playoffs twice. They haven't had a losing season. And so, you know, you begin to scratch your head a little bit and wonder uh, as some of these other coaches and, and regimes, you know, survive for five, six, seven, eight years, how these guys could be on the hot seat. But it's because of the quarterback position. It's because of the trade four years ago that Ryan Pace made to get Mitch uh, Trubisky. And, you know, first taking him and missing him, missing on him when Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes are there is bad enough. But he traded up the one spot. He gave away two threes and a four. He really put his reputation on the line. He's the one who joined himself and Mitch at the hip. And, and so I think that's why you hear so much of this. But Bears ownership, more interested about where they're at now. So they're not in great shape. They, they, they have to be competitive this year. But I don't think that seat is nearly as hot as a lot of people believe. Uh, we do know that uh, they gave Andy Dalton a pretty good amount of money to come in and be their QB1. And he's Andy Dalton. He's had a solid NFL career but never been spectacular. Did get a chance to play for the Cowboys last year when Dak goes down. He had his own injury issues, did Dalton. For me, he is what he is. And he's not great, but he's not bad either. What is going to be the determining factor as to the timetable of the quarterbacks in Chicago? Is Dalton more likely to keep the job through three quarters of the season? Kind of like what we saw last year here in Philadelphia. We know the reason Carson Wentz was replaced because – he stunk, not because they were dying to get Jalen Hurts on the field. I got to believe in Chicago, at least part of the fan base and uh, the front office want to see Jalen Hurts, uh, excuse me, Justin Fields on the field year one. How's it all going to shake out? How's it going to be decided there this year? Well, there's a lot of fans and even media here in town who think Fields should start the opener regardless. Doesn't matter about anything else, but obviously that's not the real world in the NFL. Again, this is a team albeit a 500 team that was in the playoffs last year and, you know, has a winning record the last few years. It's, it's an aging team. They're middle-aged right now. They're not old, but this may be their last year to really make a run with the rest of this roster of some of the other changes they've made have worked. And then you got to remember that Matt Nagy was the offensive coordinator in Kansas city for the entire rookie season that Patrick Mahomes sent on the bench. Uh, you know, he started that 17th week because mm-hmm. they wanted to rest Alex Smith, 
for the playoffs. And so Matt has told us that, that there is a, a plan. There is a desire to do it a certain way and that they're continuing to develop that. But, you know, people in Philly know it better than most. They've, they've also got the best backup quarterback in the NFL sitting there and Nick Foles behind Dalton. I am not personally a Dalton fan. I, I laugh when they talk about the three Pro Bowls. All were as an alternate with numbers that get other quarterbacks cut, you know. So, I mean, he's a game manager is what yeah. he is. And he did a great job of managing games in Cincinnati with, with a really good roster around him. That's how they got to the playoffs uh, five years in a row. He was hurt that fifth year, but the first four, the reason they lost him all is because that's all he was, was a game manager. And when it stepped up in the playoffs, then they didn't have what they needed at the quarterback position. So he is there as a bridge to Justin Fields. What, what we started talking about now um, is, well, but what if Dalton gets hurt early? Then what do you do? Um, my suspicion is they probably go to Nick Foles if he's still here. You know, the problem with Foles is the Bears have got big cap issues. And they can't release him. Uh, you know, it, it costs too much against the cap. If they could trade him, they could make it work. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But assuming all three of them are here, I got to believe Justin Fields is number three right now, not number two, as everybody's trying to figure out how quickly they get him on the field. Bob, you are on in Philadelphia. So I do want to rewind to a couple things. One, there's a report out with Nick Bowles, but we'll get to that in a, in a second. I, I want to take you before the move to Justin Fields and when Carson Wentz was on the market, the two teams, at least nationally most focused on, were Indianapolis and Chicago. How interested were the Bears in Carson Wentz? Well, you know, I think it's pretty obvious at this point the reasons that it was Indianapolis and Chicago because you had such strong Philadelphia connections in both places and both teams had real veteran quarterback needs. Uh, the Bears were definitely interested in Carson Wentz. But, but, but what, ha- what I, my understanding from my sources there is that what happened is that they knew at the end of the season they were done with Mitch. And, and, and really nobody has been able to get to the bottom of that yet. But um, my sense is that Mitch Trubisky was as done with the Bears as they were with him. And that's why there was really no uh, effort whatsoever to bring him. I mean, when you look at what he signed for in, in Buffalo, it's, it's kind of pitiful. Um, you know, the idea that because Brian Dable had a good year with, uh, you know, Josh Allen, that he's going to go there and have the same experience, not sitting on the bench. He's not. So um, it was really surprising that there wasn't a, you know, a bigger market for him. But at any rate, you knew that there'd be new quarterbacks coming in. They wanted a quarterback of the future. I think around the league, the consensus is that Carson Wentz, uh, everybody gets the, the, the problems in Philly. This is not a guy you give up on yet. And, and so was he going to be less expensive than what it took to get one of these first-round quarterbacks who almost always fail? I, Jody and I have talked about this. I've written about this uh, three or four times over the last seven, eight years. First-round draft picks in the NFL at quarterback fail. And particularly at one and two overall, when you look at Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, there have been 25 drafted with top 15 picks in the last 10 years. And just in that group alone, the only ones that you can really argue have made it are Andrew Luck, who stepped aside, and Ryan Tannehill, who's now in Tennessee. You know, the others are all on new contracts somewhere else or, or have only been in the league a year or two or three. So Carson Wentz was very appealing to the Bears, but at a set price, you know. And then we heard what Indianapolis paid for him. A lot of people in Chicago were surprised the Bears didn't offer more, but that tells you there were some concerns there. The one thing that Pace does is he keeps things pretty close to the vest. And my understanding is that of the four who went in the front, sorry, the five who went in the first round this year, uh, the only one they would have traded up, obviously Trevor Lawrence, the only other one they would have traded up for was Justin Fields. 
They had Fields highly rated, as did I. I think they got a heck of a player, at least value-wise, in the draft for where they got him. I think he will not be one of those first-round busts that you alluded to. Um, I think the kid's got a ton of talent. I think the Bears did quite well in getting him. But, right, only time will tell. Uh, John kind of alluded to this. There was a report out there uh, that's just got more play over the last couple of days from Tyler Dunn, an NFL insider, pretty well-respected reporter, that said that Nick Foles was actually offered to the Philadelphia Eagles at some point. We don't know, at least as per the report, that we've been able to see the time frame of this isn't quite uh, pin-downable. That he was offered to the Eagles and that, according to this report, Nick Foles didn't want to come back to Philadelphia. We know the timing of it is key, but we don't quite know the timing. If you do, if you've got more insight to this, when or if there were conversation, was it actually in the Carson Wentz potential trade conversations that Chicago and Philadelphia had? When, if you do know, Hub, when was there conversations between Chicago and Philadelphia about a return trip to Philly for Nick Foles? Well, Jody, my understanding is that that Foles probably would have been part of any trade package for Nick Foles, uh, for uh, Carson Wentz. And so, you know, right leading up until the Colts made the deal, uh, again, I, I believe that there was at least five teams involved after the initial, you know, hey, what would it take stage? Uh, and then the other three dropped off fairly quick and it was down to the Bears and the Colts. But I think up until the point where the Eagles realized that they were going to get apparently a better offer from the Colts uh, and, and also the desire to trade them out of the NFC. We have to keep in mind when you make a deal like this, you always want to move to the other conference if you can, and certainly out of your division. Um, so probably right up until about the time, you know, once became a Colt is when the Bears had Nick on the table. Hub, Hub, you talked a little bit about those quarterbacks in the first round. I do want to circle back to Justin Fields and and the fact that uh, Minnesota evidently tried to trade up in the division. Does that stoke sort of that interdivision rivalry and force maybe a, a little bit of an overreach? You talked about Trubisky. Part of the reason you, you not only got it wrong, you traded up when you didn't need to trade up, and now we're talking about Justin Fields, who I agree with Jody, by the way. I think he's a good prospect. But if it goes wrong and you gave up a lot of capital again, there's no way Ryan Pace can survive that. Am I wrong thinking that? Uh, no, John, that, that, that's spot on. And, and it may even be that if Justin Fields doesn't play this year, which is their want, um, and they don't get back to the playoffs, so they have a losing record. And so let's say he doesn't go until, uh, you know, week 12, week 14, something like that, 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 you know, he could be out without even getting to see the kid play. So uh, from George McCaskey, who is the chairman of the team, you know, there's uh, basically still nine McCaskey children along with Virginia, God bless her. Um, but George is, is the boss. Um you know, they believe as long as the team is competitive and going in the right direction that they're not making any changes. And that's the 100-year history of this ownership group. Uh, that's not just this time around. Uh, so, you know, making the trade at this point, it was trying to make the team better. See, this is where I keep coming back to, guys. I, You know, I know a lot of teams in the NFL could have this story. The Bears go 12-4 and four and 18 first year with, with Nagy and Pace together. They come back the next year 8-8. Eight and eight, 
but they literally were three plays in two games from being 10 and six. And, and so now it's not a bad follow-up year. And then this year you get back to the same story with the six game losing streak and the way they lost some of those games. I mean, you know, week five, they beat and beat up the eventual champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And so it's not a bad football team. It's not a team that is going nowhere. And, and McCaskey ownership family is so patient at times that I think that's one of the reasons that he doesn't have the heat that many think. Um, but, you know, listen, we, we talk all the time. Is, is a young GM going to get a, a chance to hire his second head coach? Well, Matt's already done that. You know, he had the first three years with John Fox. So certainly this is a pivotal year. And this is, I mean, if they're great, not great, if they're competitive because of the defense again, turns out Fields isn't going to be the answer at quarterback, but they're still winning. It may not be enough. I would think this trade, yeah, this trade and being competitive the rest of the way is, is the deal for, for Ryan Pace. Hub, will the Bears be facing off twice this year against the Aaron Rodgers-led Green Bay Packers or the Jordan Love-led Green Bay Packers? Well, that's yeah, funny because when you mentioned Tyler's name, he's he's the one who wrote the original Aaron Rodgers uh, War and Peace memoir that, 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 that basically <laughs> cost Mike McCarthy his job. Um, I, yeah, listen, yeah. I, I, the whole thing makes no sense to me. Um, you know, clearly it's Rodgers – who has planted all this, started all this, made sure we're all talking about it. He started doing it, uh, you know, in his press conference following the loss to the Bucks in the title game. Um, if we are to believe the reports that he doesn't understand why they're coming out, that he is telling people he will not play for Brian Gutekunst again, then it'll be without Aaron Rodgers because the two things the Packers aren't doing is they're not trading Aaron Rodgers and they're not firing Brian Gutekunst. And so at some point Rodgers has to speak publicly, you know, with more than a little, you know, joking session with Kenny Mayne and say, this is what's on his mind because realistically guys, we know he's very unhappy. We know there's a problem between him and the GM, but beyond that, we don't know what the answers are. The Packers have been trying to make him the highest paid player in football for the last six months. They've been talking about that contract. So a lot of people say it's money. We'll give him whatever money it takes. You know, if he's going to be a good soldier, this gets back to Aaron Rodgers being one of the all time greats on the field and, and one of the all time great prima donnas off the field. And, yeah. and, you know, this shouldn't have happened. He's the reigning MVP. They were in the NFC title game. He clearly caused this. So trying to predict what he's going to do next has become really difficult. Hub, uh, you know, this is sort of a bit of a theme around the NFL. I don't know if you want to call it uh, more of an NBA-like mentality where players have a little bit more power to steer things in the direction they want to go. We, we heard rumblings about Russell Wilson. That's kind of settled down. Deshaun Watson, obviously, before the legal issues. Aaron, now Julio Jones uh, basically says he wants out of Atlanta. It looks like he's going to be out of Atlanta. Uh, has this shifted dramatically, and is this a problem for the league? You know, John, I think it's going to be if they allow it to be. I, you know, here in Chicago, obviously, we've always been a little Bulls crazy. I don't really watch the NBA much anymore last year or two, and it doesn't have much to do with COVID. I, this whole idea of a few superstar players dictating the entire league and building their own super teams. Uh, now I realize you know, I may not be their target customer, but it certainly uh, has turned me off. And, and so, um, you know, I, I just to think about what is going to happen in the NFL, it works for some. There's no question about that. Um, but I, you know, even with Julio Jones, I, he, he's, it's not that he's over the hill, but on the backside of your career, it's one thing. 
it's 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 really the these three quarterbacks first Watson and then Wilson and, and then Rodgers and and now with Watson listen I the, the kid is innocent until he's proven guilty but but it is a little strange timing you know that that nobody understood what he was so unhappy about and then these other stories started to break and you have to wonder if he didn't have ulterior motives for wanting to get out of Houston um, Russell Wilson to this day has never said he wants to leave Seattle. That all came from his agent. The list of teams came from his agent. Rodgers is the one uh, trying to pull this right now. The last guy really to do it successfully was Brett Favre, if you think about it. So um, it certainly is not epidemic in the way that the NBA is, but it is a concern. Look at some of the youngsters. I still don't understand why the Dolphins traded Minka Fitzpatrick to the Steelers or Jamal Adams. Now, that, you know, the <laughs> Seattle Seahawks paid a king's ransom for jamal adams and it looks like it was a pretty good deal but at least that one made a little bit more sense because the jets knew they were rebuilding anyway um but for the most part i, I don't see it you know taking off the way it did in in the nba I, I think this hard salary cap is the great equalizer in a lot of ways all right uh hub let's say 20 minutes from now after you sign off here with us on birds 365 your phone rings and it's arthur blank who says, I saw you on Birds 365, and that Jody McDonald guy was right. You've got your finger on the pulse of the league. Tell me truthfully, Hub, I don't want you to mince words here. Give me the honest skinny. What is Julio value? What is Julio Jones' value on the open market? What can the Falcons get? What should they be asking for? Or what should they settle for? You know, Jody, I, I and, and this is I'm not reporting this. I, I just as I talk to folks around the league, I had this gut feeling when I said I'm not reporting it, and nobody told me it was going to happen, that the Patriots were going to give them that 15th pick in the draft for Julio Jones, and that they were then going to turn around and use that fourth pick on a quarterback and come back at 15 and, and address the pass rush or the offensive line. Um, there have been reports since the draft that multiple teams put a one on the table. I don't believe that because I think the deal would be done already if they had. Uh, you know, you can you can announce the deal and have it be a post June one designation for cap reasons anyway. And actually, we're at June one. I almost forgot they can all happen today and tomorrow. Right. Um, so I, you know, I, I think a contending team right now, a team that knew they were going to be in the playoffs, and so now you're talking about a pick in the, you know, mid twenties to the back of the first round. That one could still be in play. Um, but I got a hunch it could turn out to be a pair of twos or a two and a three, something like that. Uh, he, he, you know, his production hasn't dropped off when he's been healthy, but he has had a lot of these nagging injuries that come with age the last couple of years. And so, um, but you know, Julio Jones is still one of the top eight, nine receivers in the league and, and maybe higher than that if he's healthy. Uh, you mentioned the age, and Julio is 32. And, you know, one of the cliches in this league is you don't pay age. So how difficult is it for the Atlanta Falcons when you have somebody going on, you know, at na national television, whether you knew it or not, with Shannon Sharp saying, I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. How difficult does that make it for a team to, to get value for a player that has some issues even though he's a future Hall of Famer, even though he produces, because this league is obsessed with that number 30, and he's 32, and he did have nagging hamstring issues. How difficult does it make it for the Falcons to make the deal? Well, it certainly it, – it basically, it's not that it makes the deal difficult, John. It's now where you start to question what's the price. You know, how, how much can you get? I mean, Julio is, is not a – 
problem child. There's no issues off the field. He's been a team leader. He's been a great professional. As Jody said, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, so I think the measure is just how much is left. And, and that's why, you know, we've got to remember Randy Moss, who is in the Hall of Fame, had the best year of his career in his mid-30s in New England after everybody thought for sure he was done because he'd gone to Oakland and flamed out. And and, and Julio Jones, you know, um, has been a, a more consistent uh, presence is what I want to say. I, I'm impressed by Randy Moss. When he, you know, young in his career, uh, I thought he'd be another wide receiver diva who talked his way out of the league by year four, year five, but he actually became more mature and more of an adult uh, the longer he was around the league. And so, um, but Julio Jones, a solid citizen from day one, a huge producer, again, went healthy, a matchup nightmare. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's that it's the, they're not gonna, they've got no shortage of trade partners, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Who can they milk the most out of? And you got a rookie GM and Terry Fontenot trying to pull the strings. And so that could be uh, one of the reasons this could take a little bit longer, too. When, when you are a rookie and you haven't done this before, uh, you're going to be a little bit more careful when you make that deal. All right, Hub, last one for me. As a guy who's been around the league and has seen the changes over the last couple of decades, I need your thought process on this. Miraculously, this offseason, even though it was done individually by the 32 teams, or so reported, uh, almost to a team, they all decided that mandatory offseason stuff was going to stop, and all this uh, optional team workouts were not only going to take place, but take place and have pretty damn good attendance, as a matter of fact. So it is a different landscape we're dealing with during the offseason. Will we be able to see that in the first month, two months of the upcoming season, the quality of play? What they decided between the union and the teams collectively to come up with as to how much work they're getting in here in the month of June as compared to what happened in previous years with mandatory workouts, will we actually see a different level of quality of play? I, I think we will, Jody. It was obvious early last year. A lot of us were surprised that they were even being able to play at all, you know, and, and that they'd had no preparation in, in the form that they're used to. They will have more this year. I, I think the question now is how much more. It's kind of scattershot all across the league as to what they're doing. Um, a lot of this is the Players Association pounding itself on the chest and trying to get concessions in a 10-year CBA they never should have signed in the first place. Uh, and barely did, by the way. It, you know, it passed by, what, uh, 59 votes or yeah. something like that with over 2,000 players voting. Um, and, and they're trying to sell this idea that off-season work is somehow more dangerous and causes injuries, which is ridiculous. The whole point of it is to reduce injuries. You know, when you play, it's going to happen, but but the Players Association uh, hasn't been able to get much for their guys finance-wise, uh, healthcare-wise, other things, so they talk about making them work less. I mean, at the end of the day, that's kind of what it comes down to. But then you have to, you know, plug in what we were all going through last summer, um, everybody was, you know, certainly not paralyzed, but, but, but handicapped by not knowing what was going to come next, uh, really by week four, week five, week six, as we began to see, first of all, they'd had games now as, as opposed to a full preseason of practice, but also began to settle into the routine. What we don't know right now, and I think the reason after the players association said a lot of these guys weren't going to show that they did start to show really two reasons, 
one is Juwan James happened and the Denver Broncos pulled a $10 million contract on him. Um, and, and it really, it, it makes no sense from the players association perspective. Obviously these guys are safer and better off working with their own team trainers in their own team facilities. If for no other reason, because of all the, the protocols from coronavirus, which is where I'm going next. Yeah. It's moving fast now, guys. Uh, you know, uh, we don't want to take it away from, uh, you know, the Eagles or football and get into areas where I have no expertise whatsoever. But as we all look around us, we can see that it's, this recovery has really picked up pace in the last couple of weeks, you know, with mask mandates going away and, and positives coming down and, and everybody getting vaccinated. And, and so um, I think, you know, that's the reason that players are more comfortable being in there right now. But we don't know what's going to where we're going to be in you know 30 days 60 days if we continue with this with this recovery if can, things continue to get better then yes i think you'll see much better play early in the season this year you know hub you mentioned uh, the union jc treader one of his main arguments was hey look last year we had nothing we showed up and the product was as good as it's ever been you've been covering this league for a long time aesthetically is the product on the field as good as it's ever been? Well, John, you, you guys you know cover the Eagles, focus on the, the NFC East or least. You tell me how good the product is. <laughs> uh, I mean, That's where I was going. Yeah, and part of it is that some of those teams were doing some rebuilding, but you yeah. can't argue that the first you know four or five, six weeks of the season last year were, were the equal yeah. of what we had come to expect in the years leading up to it. Now, it, it did catch up again. You know, by, by mid-season, second half of the season, once everybody got used to the protocols. So overall, um, yeah, I mean, the NFL is better than it's ever been, was in 19 heading into 20. I think the fact that they pulled off the 20 season the way they did tells you something about the NFL, because I never thought they'd get past week two or week three, you know, with what we were dealing with with COVID. So the product is fantastic, but the argument that they want to use what happened last year as a evidence as to what should come. That's just ridiculous. You know, it, it, you know, maybe one of the reasons that injuries were done is because of the number of players who opted out uh, and didn't even try and play. Obviously there's no connection there, but you can't use anything that happened last year as an example of to the bigger picture and, and where the league was at going into it and where we hope it's going to be coming out of it as we get back to more normalcy in, in everything we do, not just the NFL. He's been one of the best in the business for the last two decades, and we were lucky to get him on with us today. Hub Arkish, thank you very much. We will certainly reach back to you again before the season gets underway. Thanks for hopping on with us. Glad to hear you had a good Memorial Day weekend. Thank you, Sam. You. Everybody stay safe and stay, stay healthy out there. That is Thanks, Hub Arkish, editor of Pro Football Weekly, here with us on Birds 365. All right, Jordan Mac, Johnny Mac, coming back. We'll put a bow on the show on a Tuesday edition of Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say... But as I always say... It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest... 
Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Mac and Mac guys here on Birds 365. We are just... 22 hours and five minutes from doing this again tomorrow. And hopefully we've got something to really sink our teeth into, like maybe a Zach Ertz trade now that we have reached June 1st and has the salary cap ramifications of lightening up. Uh, we shall see. I, I want to finish on this note, John. This is something that we didn't touch on over the course of the show. I was going to bring it up. We got busy. Um, I'm going to make you an offer since wagering is as big a part as it is in the National Football League. And if you're denying that to yourself, wake up and smell the coffee, okay? Uh, It's kind of driving the bus these days, but that's my opinion. Um, I'm going to make you an offer. Tell me if you would take it or not. I will give you 25 to 1 that the Kansas City Chiefs do what Patrick Mahomes suggested they may be able to do this weekend, which is go 20 and 0. Mahomes doing an interview, I think it was for Bleacher Report, said the only record he's worried about this year is running the table and going undefeated the first ever 
20 and 0 team. Of course, they've never been a 20 and 0 team because we never had 17 regular season games before. So certainly it's something that can never have been done before. And if the Chiefs do it, they would be the first. <laughs> he thinks it's possible. That's the record he's shooting for. I'll give you 25 to 1 on the Chiefs going 20 and 0. You taking a bet? No, I need at least 50 to 1. Come on, Jody. 50? Not only. We've, we've had one undefeated team in NFL history, uh, the 72 Miami Dolphins. So just from that standpoint, as you mentioned, there's more games now than ever. Right. The Patriots Harder. were this close, uh, but they weren't able to finish it off. Uh, the I think it's always ironic that the best Patriots team of all didn't win, which I talk about all the time, didn't win the Super Bowl. My point is it's really, really hard. We talk about injuries in the NFL, 25 to 1. I think you can get higher odds than that. All right, I'll give you 50. If I give you 50. I'll I'll throw a couple shekels down on 50. You would at 50 to 1? Yeah, why not? Eh, I I wouldn't go overboard, though. There's no way I believe they're going undefeated. But if there's any team right now that has a chance to do it, if everything goes right, they're the team. Yeah, they're the team. Understood. Because of Mahomes. And I did say this on my CBS show this weekend. I give credit to Patrick Mahomes and that LeBron James guy in L.A., two of the uh, top performers in their respective sports year in and year out for the last couple of years. They both set the bar high. Mahomes said, my only record is 20-0. and 0. LeBron James said after they got beat the other day, Anthony Davis, yeah, we, we, we love him, we want him, we need him. But if we don't have him, that's okay. I got these big shoulders. I can take that much more on. Uh, we'll, we'll be all right, even if Anthony can't play. I love to see when the best in their game, and you can make the argument. That, that. Uh, that I agree with. I love the fact that he embraces it, says, yeah, I agree with that. I want guys who think I'm winning, no matter what they miss. They shot LeBron James gets killed for not being a closer. Then he closes guys who don't shy away from the big stage. I love that Patrick Mahomes does that, but I can also acknowledge probably not going to happen. <laughs> Unlike Carson Wentz, who got skittish when Jalen Hurts was selected in the second round. Unlike yeah. Nick Foles, who we're now told had a chance to come back here to Philadelphia yeah. and said, thank you. No. Embrace the pressure, my friends. Embrace the competition. Play rock, paper, scissors against Nick Sirianni. Come on, put it on the line. You're going to win that. I'll take 25 to 1 on that because you're going to win rock, paper, scissors. Guy never wins a damn game of rock, paper, scissors. I can't believe McMullen thinks that Sirianni tanks rock, paper, scissors. This is Nick Sirianni we're talking about, not Sam Inky here. Mr. Mr. Competition can't win a damn game of rock, paper, scissors. At some point, he's going to turn it around because he lives for that competition and will improve his rock, paper, scissors, one loss percentage. Write it down. Jody Mack said it this day right here on Birds 365. Partner, hopefully we've got something uh, for you to report tomorrow. We'll break it down, see if the Eagles actually make a move or not. Uh, Glad you had a good Memorial Day weekend. Talk to you tomorrow. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.